Good morning. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. This is week 3 of our study in the book of Ephesians called Unsearchable Riches. And we're moving our way slowly but surely through chapter 1, which is the first part of the first half of Ephesians that is all focused on what God has done for us in Christ. In the second half of Ephesians, it's focused on a lot of practical teaching, kind of how you live your life for Christ. But this first half is focused on who we are in Christ. And so the layout of this book is really, really important, right? We're going to get to the part about how we behave. But before we get to the part about how we behave, we've got to begin by looking at what we believe. How we behave is deeply tied to what we believe. And that's what the layout of this book teaches us. So let's be mindful of that as we move through uh, this part of this book, all right? So we need to make sure we're believing rightly because all of us, we're all a work in progress, right? Some of us will admit that all of us are a work in progress, right? None of us got it all together this morning. None of us got it all right this past week, right? We all have weak areas in our life that we need to grow in. Some of, that, some of us, that's in our marriage relationships. Some of us right now, it's, you know, that the, kind of the glaring place is maybe in the way you're parenting or maybe in your other relationships or how you react to hardships, right? Our, our behavior, all of us, is a work in progress, And again, the key to seeing Holy Spirit-empowered progress in your life is making sure that we're spending time in God's Word, you know, understanding how God sees us, that we're thinking rightly about ourselves, that we're seeing ourselves the way that God sees us because it's in believing those gospel truths about who we are in Christ that our life is radically shaped and changed and conformed more to the image of Christ. All right, so this whole first half of Ephesians is helping us think rightly about ourselves. And I'm telling you, hasn't the first part of this that we've been in, the first few verses, it's like Paul's coming out guns a-blazing about gospel truths, about who we are in Christ Jesus. It's like this fireworks display of gospel truths about who we are in Christ. All right, so this isn't who you're trying to be if you're in Jesus. This isn't who you hope to be when you grow up and become like a SEAL Team 6 Christian. This is who you are in Christ right now. This is a display of truths that are true about you if you're in Christ Jesus. All right, and so this portion that we're in this morning, which is verses 7 through 10, if we were going to think about it like a fireworks display, anybody like watching fireworks? You know, like at the end, there's like the finale, and it's like explosions all over the place. Boom, boom, boom. That's the way this part of this passage feels to me. It's like Paul just goes off. Just incredible gospel truth everywhere. So stand with your Bibles open. And we're going to be in verses 7 through 10, but I'm going to read actually, uh, sorry to the people on the, uh, those on the, on the media uh, team back there. I am going to start at verse 3. I'll give you a second to catch up there. I'm going to start at verse 3. All right, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here we go. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Would you have a seat as I pray? 
Father, I pray that you would use this text to encourage our hearts this morning. We thank you for the book of Ephesians and how it is a book full of grace-saturated encouragement. So I pray that we lean in and be encouraged today. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. Lord, we confess. Lord, we understand. We recognize that we need you to take control of the service. That we can't do anything good in and of our own strength. In in and of our own wisdom. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would take control. We pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that you take this truth planted in our hearts. That we'd be changed for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we mentioned, we just read verse 3 there, as we mentioned last week, verse 3 is kind of like a thesis statement uh, for this entire section, all right? The, he kind of gives a thesis statement, and then the next uh, several verses from 3 all the way down to 14, really, he's unpacking some things that he's saying in verse 3. Let's read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, all right? So Paul is saying here, that in Christ, the grace and the favor of God has fallen on your life. That there are eternal spiritual blessings that have been poured out on your life in Christ Jesus. And last week, we spent some time learning about some of those. Now, the first one we stopped and looked at is the truth that in Christ we are chosen. That God set His heart on me. That He drew me to Himself. That He raised me to new life. That He chose you. If you're in Christ, He chose you. What did He choose us to? He chose you to sonship. Right? Adoption is an amazing thing. Spiritual adoption. In, and of our, in our sin, we were separated from God. Outside the family of God, but by His grace, He's brought us in. Didn't just save us, didn't just forgive us of our sin. He made us part of the family. All right? We have a forever place at the family, at the family table of God. So we're chosen. We're adopted. All right? So we're blessed. Right? We're blessed this morning. But it gets better. All right? We're going to look at more blessings this morning. All right, we're blessed, but we continue to see the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Three more blessings this morning that are ours in Christ. Here's the first one that we're looking at this morning. In Christ, we're redeemed. In Christ, we are redeemed. And as we study this, this is who we are. As we study about what it means to be a redeemed person, this is, as we understand redemption, it's kind of like lifting up the hood and understanding how the spiritual adoption thing can even be possible. All right, how can we, can we be brought into the family of God? So it kind of digs into that. So we've been redeemed. In verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the blood of Christ. So I want to unpack the reality of redemption by asking a couple questions this morning. First this, what is redemption? What is redemption? That's a word that we use a lot in church today. That's a word that you'll hear people in culture use, right? But it's important to understand, as you study God's Word, by the way, it's important to always understand this and seek to understand this, what did the original audience hear when they heard that word redemption? All right, redemption is defined like this. It's defined as deliverance by payment of a price. And as those Ephesian Christians in Ephesus received this letter and heard the word redeemed or redemption, they would have immediately associated that with slavery. All right, the Roman Empire had around 6 million slaves. Now, sla- slaveries look different in different places throughout human history. And something that made it unique in those days at that time is if you had a family member or a friend who was a slave, you could actually buy them out of slavery for a certain price. You could redeem them. That's what that word meant. You could buy them out of slavery. You could set them free. Now, if that's true, why is Paul using that word to describe us? Why is he using that word as a title for who we are in Christ? Because the reality of the gospel is that you and I, before Christ, before our relationship with Christ, we were spiritual slaves to sin. Don't take my word for it. 
Uh, John 8, 34, Jesus says this himself. He says in, in that verse, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. All right? In other words, apart from Christ, outside of a relationship with Christ, sin is our owner. Right? Sin is our master. We're in bondage to it. We're under its power. We're under its grip. All right? And so this idea of redemption is us being bought out of that slavery to sin that we're born into and being bought out of slavery with a price. And the Bible's very clear about what that price is. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Some of you know this by heart. For the wages of sin is, is death. So the Bible puts some really heavy stuff on the table right here concerning our sin. We're born slaves to it. The only way to be bought out of it, to be redeemed from it, is for a price to be paid. And the only sufficient payment for sin says it right there in Scripture, is death. And it's a very specific kind of death that it requires. That's the price that must be paid. It's an eternal, very costly, sacrificial death that really only God has the ability to pay. You know what that means this morning? It means that according to the Bible, that sin is not cheap. That sin is not small. That sin has a great cost. And that's really important for you to understand. That's really important for us to keep in view, even as Christ followers. Because when, you, when you're reminded by and when you really understand the true cost of something, it changes the way you see it. It changes the way you care about it. All right, we have three kids. Emma is our oldest. She's 15. Benson is uh, almost, he'll be 13 this week. Birthday's coming up. And Max is eight. All right, and we're trying to teach our kids, like a lot of you are trying to do with your young family, you're trying to teach your kids how to view money rightly, right? How to understand the value of things and the cost of things. And you understand if you're raising young kids, they think it grows on trees, right? So you're trying to help them understand that it does not grow on trees. And where that, where that becomes apparent that there's a little skewed view of the way things cost and the value of things, a way that you can kind of see that is when they're little, when you're walking through Walmart or Target and you come upon the toy, toy, toy aisles, Right? The toy aisles, especially for like Max, he's eight, uh, the Lego aisle, right? So the Lego aisle, he loves the Lego aisle. He'll go sliding down the Lego aisle and he'll always find the most expensive set that they have there. And they're expensive Lego sets, right? You got to take a bank loan out to buy a Lego set these days. And he'll find the most expensive one and he'll grab it and he'll kind of look up at you. He's got a little charm to him, right? And he'll kind of look up to you like, Dad, I have to have this. It's only $168. Kind of with that look, kind of looks at you like, like if you love, don't you love me? Like if you love me, won't you, won't you buy this for me? And I'm like, hey, listen, you don't understand the great cost of that which you hold in your hands right now. You don't understand six hundred or one hundred and sixty-eight dollars of paying that for a box of plastic pieces, most of which are going to get lost, right? So, good parents, we're not just frivolously buying our kids things that they don't appreciate the cost of because it's only when you understand the true cost of something that it impacts the way you see it. It impacts the way you care about it. And here's how, the way I want to tie that into this in this text. It, it's only when we understand the true cost of our redemption, the cost of our sin, which is a very costly, sacrificial, eternal death, that you appreciate it the way you should. That you appreciate what God did to buy us out of slavery, to redeem us. So that's a little bit about what redemption is, all right? God, propelled by love for us, pays an unimaginable price to buy us out of slavery, slavery to our sin. That's what it is. The next question, let's dig into how he did it. How are we redeemed? Back to verse 7. It says, in him, all right, stop there. I want to pause there because those are really important words right there. 
in him. We don't just want to gloss over those, all right? That, that, those words right there are everything. That means my redemption, as we get into this, remember, my redemption had zero to do with me. It had nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus, the Son of God, doing everything for me that I could not do for myself. He puts on flesh. He lives the life that I can't live, right? He then pays the ultimate price for my redemption that I couldn't pay, his sacrificial death on the cross. Paul says, in him we have redemption through what? His blood. Now, now sometimes, let's talk about the blood of Christ, right? So in, I'm saying that, and that's even bringing the idea of the blood of Christ is the word blood there associated with Christ being spilled for us, that brings comfort to a lot of people's hearts in here. That's actually something that a lot of us would celebrate, that we'd even love to sing about, right? That makes sense for you if you grew up in church, all right? So if you didn't grow up in church and you're in here hearing us sing about the blood and the blood of Christ and blood being like covering us and being washed in the blood, like what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're, we're celebrating that. If you've not grown up in church, you're in here going, what is going on in here? <laughs> what are they talking about? The blood? And if you've been around church for a while, that makes sense. If not, I want to kind of help you understand why the blood of Christ is something that's very significant. And you have to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have an old sacrificial system that was in place. And it was a sacrificial system that was in place where the blood of animals was spilled to atone for the sins because death has to be the price that's the, the price for redemption is death. So these animals were, were, were slain in certain ways and their blood was spilled to atone for the sins of human beings. All right? So in the Old Testament, people would bring like actual animals, bulls and goats and doves to the house of God, to these priests, and they follow this, uh, these rituals and they follow this, this list of instructions as to how you did all this and they'd, they'd sacrifice these animals for an atonement for their sin. All right? And... And like we just talked about, death had to happen, right? But what you need to understand is that blood being spilled from those animals, it was just meant to be a temporary covering. Right. It, was no, it, it didn't have the ability to fully cover their sins. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All right, so get that in your mind. The Old Testament system was, was there. It was provided by God. To create, it was limited fellowship, but to create fellowship and to create a way for people to experience the forgiveness of their sins, a covering for their sins, but it was a temporary covering that was all a shadow. It was all pointing forward to a day when our sins would permanently be covered over by another sacrifice. And that's exactly what Christ came to accomplish on the cross. All right, so we want to glory in that for a moment this morning, right? Praise God we get to live on this side of the cross, right? There's a reason why you didn't drop your kids off at kids' ministry this morning and then also take some farm animals out back to the pen so we can sacrifice them later to cover your sins. I was going to say this morning, and I had to correct this, that there's no farm animals on our property this morning, but there is a chicken running around our (laughs) campus right now. True story. You'll see it. It's made itself at home here. I guess somebody needs to give it a name. But I can promise you this. He ain't being crucified to cover anybody's sins. (laughs) Praise God that we don't have to follow the old sacrificial system. And the reason for that is Jesus paid it all. Jesus did what the bulls and the goats and the doves could not do. Jesus fulfilled the ultimate price for our sins. And many of us have heard that and know that, but let's not take that for granted. Okay, so there are people today... Over on the other side of the world, I've been there, I've seen them. 
Jews who are gathering at the wailing wall, who are praying and waiting for a Messiah to come to atone for the sins of mankind. Praise God, our eyes have been opened that He's here. That we have a relationship with Him. We have Him. He's come. He died. And He gives you redemption through His blood. Now, this isn't popular preaching these days. Sin, the cost of it, blood, the blood of Christ covering our sins. And a lot of people have taken God's Word and have taken the gospel and kind of presented this sanitized version of the gospel that's really no gospel at all. Here is the gospel in a nutshell, all right? We're separated, born separated from God in our sin, right? Not kind of, kind of good people who can kind of tack some verses on our life and try really hard and one day make it into heaven based on our good efforts. We are born black-hearted sinners with a sin disease in our life, rebels on the run from God, dead in our trespasses from sin. I am a tragic mess in my sin before a holy God, a slave to sin, dead in sin. And in order to clean up that great mess in my life, and in order to clean up that great mess in your life, and in anybody's life, whoever steps into this world with air in their lungs and a heart beating in their chest, it takes a great price that had to be paid. And the good news of the gospel is over is 2,023 years ago, in the small town of Bethlehem, a Savior was born. The God-man, 100% God, who lived a sinless life. Think about the mess of our sin, the mess of the sinful humanity. Here comes Jesus in, the Son of God, putting on flesh, living a sinless life we couldn't live. And then He goes to the cross in the most brutal, violating way you can think of. Treated like garbage, mocked, beaten, beard pulled out of his face. A crown of thorns pressed on his head. And then slaughtered on a Roman execution tool called a cross. And the messiest part, and the most horrible part you couldn't see with human eyes, was him absorbing the penalty of our sin in himself. And he dies. It's a complete... It's a complete mess. But it's a glorious mess that covers our mess of sin. And that's not politically correct. That that message ain't marketed in a lot of like bumper stickers and coffee mugs. Right? But that is the gospel. Jesus dying a messy death on a bloody cross in your place and in my place. Not just so we can come here and sing some about it this morning. He did that because he wanted you back. Out of your slavery to sin, we've been redeemed. All right, we've been redeemed. Second thing is this, we are forgiven. Verse 7 continues, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. So what's the product of our redemption? Of being covered by the blood of Christ. It's forgiveness. The forgiveness of our trespasses. This is another word that we use a lot in church. This is another word that we hear used a lot in culture. Forgive, forgiven, forgiveness. But I want to make sure that you understand this this morning, that God's idea of forgiveness is a lot different than man's idea of forgiveness. Some, I just feel led right here to say this. Some of you really need to listen to that this morning. You, if you call yourself a Christian, God's idea of forgiveness is much different than man's idea of forgiveness. And man's idea of forgiveness can often be like this. Hey, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to kind of keep this in my back pocket until down the road when, you know, maybe you do something that will kind of maybe take this back out again. 
Man's idea of forgiveness is this. Hey, I'm going to forgive you, but stay away from me. That's not God's idea of forgiveness. That's not the way God forgives. And we could spend a lot of time this morning presenting a lot of pictures from Scripture. So the beauty of this truth of God's forgiveness. But here's just one. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Listen to the way God forgives us. And again, I feel led this morning. Think about this. If this is the way He forgives us, this is the way He's called us to forgive others. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. I love that. You ever lost something in the ocean? Like, now, you can lose something in the shallow end of the ocean, in the shallows, and maybe find it. I've, or you may lose it. I've lost a lot of sunglasses in the shallow end of the ocean. But I'm, also, I'm always looking for them when I lose them because I sometimes find them. It's not always lost in the shallows. But you drop those sunglasses off the edge of a balcony of a cruise ship out in the middle of the ocean, bye-bye to your sunglasses. You ain't getting those back. Go back to the gift shop and get you another pair. The point Mike is making right here, it's awesome. He's not saying that God's cast our sin into the shallow end of the ocean. He's not saying that God's just covered it just a little bit. He's saying God's covered it with the depths of the sea. Y'all know how deep the sea is? I, I, could, I could do some charts and we could look at all kind of deep, you know, some really detailed ways to show you and communicate to you how deep. We don't have time for all that this morning. I just want to say this. The ocean's deep, y'all. It's really deep. Oceanographers tell us that there's places that... The, the depths of the ocean floor go that are deeper below the water than anything on earth goes above the water. Think about the highest mountain peak in existence. It's the highest one in existence. You measure that mountain from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain. The ocean goes deeper under the water than that. And here in Micah, God's saying that He's cast all of our sin into the depths. You know what that means? It means they'll never resurface again. And here's... Here's the beautiful truth that communicates to us. What that means, he don't see me in my sin and shame anymore. Amen. You say, how in the world is that possible? That's hard for me to believe because I know myself. I know who I was. I know what I've done. I know what I'm, what's going on in my life right now. I know the, the future sins that I'm probably going to commit. You say, how in the world is that possible? Here's why. There's more mercy and grace in Christ than there's sin in us. Romans 5.20 says this, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here's the truth. God has a lot of grace. Look at the the phrase at the end of verse 7. According to the riches of whose grace? His grace. According to the riches of His grace, He's lavished on us. That's really, really important. It's according to God's grace, right? If that was according to the riches of me, if it was according to the riches of you, we would be in trouble, right? It's according to the riches of who? God. The God who owns everything. There's not a number big enough to capture how rich He is. And this is saying according to the riches of His grace, the one who owns it all, the boss of everything, the sustainer of all of the universe, He's lavishing His grace on your life. 
This is not a faucet that turns on and off based on what you do right and what you do wrong. If you're in Christ, it's a faucet that's open and flows over your life as long as you live. His grace is lavished on you. Now, what what are the implications of that? What are the implications of this? Listen, in my life, I got a highlight reel. In your life, you got a highlight reel, right? We can think about days in our life, moments in our life that we look back that are good, we would call good moments, Sunny, where the sun was shining. Days where we got things right, right? The day I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, highlight reel. The day I led somebody to Christ for the first time, highlight reel. The day I baptized my kids, highlight reel. The day I married my wife, highlight reel. The first mission trip that I went on, right, after I got saved, highlight reel. I could go on and on. I can think a lot about highlights. We all got some highlights. But can I ask you a question this morning? Anybody got some low lights? Anybody got some low lights? All of us do, don't we? I do. Things I've done, even after coming to Christ, that I'm ashamed of. Maybe for you, it's the day that you opened the door to that addiction. Maybe it's the day that you just absolutely lost it and said awful things to your spouse. Low light. Maybe it's the time you disciplined your kids, not in love, but in anger. Low light. Maybe it's the hurtful, vicious words that you said about a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Low light. We have a low light reel. All of us do. We may have added to it this past week. And what I want you to know is that the enemy would love to come along and loves to do this and is really good at this, of shining a light on your low light. Saying, this is who you are. This is, this is what defines you. How could God truly love somebody like you? Knowing what you've done. How could you truly be His? He's an expert at making you feel like a failure, of making you feel like a nobody, of making you feel like a reject. But I want you to hear loud and clear this morning that if you're a Christian, that if you're in Christ, you can't base your walk with God on how you feel about yourself. You've got to base your walk with God on what God has said is true about you. And here's the truth that the Word of God is declaring over your life today if you've placed your trust in Christ Jesus. That God's chosen you, that He's made you holy, that He's adopted you, and He's not just only redeemed you and freed you, He's fully forgiven you of all of your trespasses. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover over all of your brokenness. That means, again, that being a Christian means that God's grace, that Christ's forgiveness is greater than your addiction. It's greater than your abortion. It's greater than your divorce. It's greater than your pride. It's greater than your greed. It's greater than your anger. It's greater than your bad temper. It's greater than any sin you've committed, you're committing, or you'll ever commit. All of those things that make it onto the low light film of our life, Christ's blood is sufficient to cover it all. And He's dealt with it. Hey, are we a perfect church? Are we a perfect church? By no means. Are we a perfectly forgiven church? By all means. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. Finally, number three, we are secure. Look at verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He sent forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 
All right, so Paul starts by saying, let me show you what God's done before the foundation of the world. Let me show you what God's done for you in Christ Jesus. And now what he's doing is he's saying, let me pull back the curtain and show you, let me reveal to you the mystery of what's to come in Christ. Right? And so that can give us a lot of assurance. Right? We, need, we need to understand the blessing that this is in our life. You say, well, why is it a blessing for the curtain to be pulled back and for us to be able to see into the future and understand what the future means for us as Christians? Because we live in a world that feels really rocky. We live in a world that feels really unstable. We live in a culture that feels very divided. We live in a world that feels like it's in a constant state of unraveling. And it doesn't take long in this world to start feeling like evil is going to win. But again, we can't allow how we feel, like our perspective on this world and how we feel about this world, to dictate who we are and how we act in this world. We base it on what God has said is true about this world and where the world is headed. And here's what God's word says about this world. It says he's still in control of it. It reminds us that, hey, God has never lost a battle. Jesus is undefeated. He's not, he's not in heaven kind of wringing his, his hands wondering what in the world's going on in your life and in this world and where it's headed. Like Satan and, and the enemy has never flexed on Jesus and made him kind of jump and flinch. It's never happened. Jesus stands today and forever as the conquering, undefeated, sovereign king. And we're living in a day when a lot of Christians, you, hey, you, you need to not just say you believe that in your heart, you need to believe it. We live in a day and age where a lot of Christians who would politically things aren't the way that we want them to be or when something evil happens, we lose our mind. Oh no, what's going to happen? It's all going to fall apart. And this is an encouraging text that says, lift up your head. Like he's pulled back the curtain and he allows us to see into the future. And he says, lift up your head, walk out of these doors and back out into society this afternoon with great hope in your heart and with joy on your face and shine brightly for Christ because he is our conquering king. Yes, he, is. he is on his throne and he is authoring all of human history according to his perfect will and nothing, no one will stop him. All of human history is moving to a time when he'll unite all things under himself so we're blessed we're blessed you know what that means it means we don't have to live life on the edge of our seat wondering how it's all going to play out wondering if jesus is going to win like that's how we watch football games that's how we watch sports games hey, I, I love the run that the jaguars made at the end of the season and into the playoffs anybody with me that was fun to watch we had three jaguar fans in here this morning all right gonna leave me up here by myself here we go but that, hey, that was a lot of fun to watch. But if you're a Jaguar fan, it was stressful to watch. I, I got to I got to go to that Titans game. I, you know, the uh, really uh, uh, stressful game to watch there at the end. There I am in the stadium on the edge of my seat. It looked like Titans were going to win. It looked like it was over. I looked over at my father-in-law and said, "Hey, they ain't going to win. They're going to run the time. They're going to run the clock out. Let's head on to the car." I didn't get that word out of my mouth. Fumble, scoop, score. Jaguars winning, baby. I'm like, glad we didn't leave. The place goes crazy. We were on the edge of our seat. Titans are going to win. To just everybody celebrating. The guy behind me gave me a hug. Stranger. I didn't even know him. He just leaned in for it. I was like, why not, man? Jaguars win. Those last few games, nail biters, right? Edge of our seats. Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? What's going to happen? That's, that's how we watch the Jaguars play. That's not how we watch things play out as Christians in this world. 
Our future, our victory, our eternity is not in question. The Bible says that you can take it to the bank. One day Jesus is coming again, not as a sacrificial lamb like he did the first time, but he will return as a victorious conquering king. Revelation 19, read it, find joy in it, find hope in it. He's riding in on a white horse as a conquering king to fully reverse the curse that's on this world. And as a judge, he will judge sin once and for all. He will set up a new heavens and new earth where we will reign for him forever and ever and ever. And when you feel tempted, To think evil will win and the world will unravel. That's right, it won't. God's pulled back the curtain and blessed us by showing us He's already won. You're already on the the side of victory. You're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from it. So this morning in Christ, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're secure. He's secured a victorious future for you. We're on the receiving end of his blessings. And how do we respond to that? By the same way in verse 3, the way Paul opens up here. He says, blessed. We bless him. We bless him. That's another word for praise. It's another word for worship. Right? We worship him in light of the fireworks display of gospel truths that he just lit off. Reminding us of why he's worthy of our praise. Like we bless a lot of things, don't we? We're always blessing something. We're, we're natural worshipers. We're blessing things on social media. Blessing people, worshiping people, praising people. Some of us bless sushi places on social media, right? We bless our sports teams. We praise our political leaders that we respect and appreciate. We celebrate and glory in all those things and bless a lot of things. And those aren't bad things, but they're infinitely lesser things compared to Jesus. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of us blessing Him. And so we want to do that this morning. Let's pray.